Are you worn out? Struggling with your life's purpose? Depressed? Tired of fighting the same old sin again and again? Do you need revival? God wants to revive you even more than you want to be revived. Dana Gresh found herself worn out and struggling. When she went to God's Word for answers, she discovered the door every heart must go through to be revived. This message was presented at the Revive Conference. It's so good to be with you. I'm so honored to share with you, and I'm so terrified to share with you what I'm about to share with you tonight. Nancy assigned me the topic of humility. Now, herein lies a lot of problems, beginning with I don't usually say the word correctly. I have a problem every time there is an H-U in a word. I usually say I have a huge problem instead of a huge problem. So I think that the beginning lesson in humility for me was learning how to say the word. And if I say humility tonight, you all know what I mean. I don't know how your heart is as you come here tonight, but um, my heart has been through quite a summer. My daughter Autumn calls it our family's summer of joyful chaos. I became a grandma for the first time. I became the mother of the bride for Autumn for the first time. I um, saw two of my young adult children buy homes for the first time. And we sent our tween ministry on tour throughout the United States under the name True Girl for the first time. So I kind of crossed the finish line of all these firsts on Labor Day, and I was like, woo, I did it, I made it. And on Labor Day night, I was in the ER in crippling pain. And it put me on my back for about a week, and I remember about a week in feeling, I'm not just, my body just doesn't hurt, my spirit hurts too. And I looked at my husband and I said, my thinking isn't right. My feelings are not right. I hope I'm depressed. <laughs> you know, you ever been like that? You're like, just, I am off. Here's the thing. I wasn't worn out because I had had a lot to do. I was worn out because of some sin in my life. And I'm gonna tell you a little bit about that in a minute, but first I wanna ask you, what has you worn out? What has you in a place where you are at the end of your rope, at the end of your hope? What has you in a place where you deeply need revival? I wanna tell you something that Jesus deeply wants to give you revival as deeply as you want it and need it. And he did it for me. In the last just couple of weeks, he has revived my heart and joy has returned to my heart. Joy has returned to some relationships that were being tested by my condition. And he wants to do that for you. But I had to ask myself a question, and it's the question that you need to ask yourself tonight. It's this. What kind of heart does God choose to revive? When it comes to the topic of revival, there are a lot of things that I love the topic of studying the word. I love the topic of forgiveness and repentance. I really love that. I love to see people experience that. I love experiencing the Holy Spirit and his presence, but humility didn't really excite me. 
And so I had to ask God to really find verses for me that would get me excited about this topic. And in finding one of them, I found the answer to my question, what kind of heart does God revive? It's found in Isaiah 57. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me just to honor God's word and read this passage out loud with me. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the hearts of the contrite one. Isaiah 57, 15. You can be seated. He will come to revive you if you are humble. Of course, that's not an easy thing if your sin is pride, and that is what I discovered was my sin. Now, I wouldn't have discovered that had I not been working on this message for you tonight, but by God's grace, I was working on this message for you tonight. And so I was able to see that what had brought me to a place of being literally on my back in need of revival was pride. As I studied the topic of pride and the topic of humility, I found that really there's kind of two polar opposites or two types of pride. The first one is boasting. Now, very few of us wake up in the morning and say, I am fine and I think I will tell everybody about it today. That's generally not how the pride of boasting shows up in our hearts, in our lives. But there are ways that we speak with exaggeration and pride about ourselves, and it's usually in our actions. And one of the things I found is you can go online and find all these lists, because we're trying to figure out the sin of pride, right? Because we know that it's the root of all of our other sins. And as I was reading these inventories, I saw something that stopped me in my tracks. It said, one of the signs of pride is that you have no ability to say no because you think everyone needs you, could not get by without you, and if you did say no, everything would fall apart. <laughs> that couldn't possibly be pride. I mean, it would fall apart, right, if we didn't take care of it all. Listen to me, even God rested on the sixth day. It's called the Sabbath, and he invites you and I to partake of it. Now, maybe that's not how your pride shows up. Maybe you aren't the woman that's trying to hold it all together. Maybe it shows up, your boasting shows up in one of these other ways. You're so important and have so much to do that you're busy in your phone even when there are other live people right in front of you. Okay, I stepped on a toe or two there. <laughs> you talk about yourself rather than asking about others. Ouch. You're easily agitated by the needs or neediness of others. You have to have the best seat in the house. Oh, that one applies at Christian women's conferences. <laughs> and how about this one? You've stopped truly seeking him. Pride sets in. It sets us in opposition to seeking him because we don't think we really need him. Maybe boasting isn't the kind of pride you struggle with. Maybe it's belittling yourself. Okay, here again, I had a little bit of a problem because, you know, I don't think I dismiss my importance. I feel purpose in life, but I came to this list, and the list said, 
When you belittle yourself, sometimes you don't ask for help because you don't want to be a bother. I don't know anybody like that, do you? Maybe your pride shows up like one of these other ways. You're unnaturally withdrawn from others and you excuse it as introversion or shyness. You're terrified to pray in front of others. You are paralyzed by fear of failure and so avoid trying new things or stepping out into your purpose. You're easily hurt if your work is not noticed. You feel like the weak link or the black sheep in your family or group of friends. You're self-conscious about your appearance, having to approve photos before they are posted on social media. <laughs> or maybe you're the one that hides your body in group photos to make sure that only what has to be is peeking out. Maybe the way you belittle yourself is you hold tightly to the shame of your sin and you won't receive the grace of God. I don't know about you, but when I listen to these things, I realize that I need a prescription for pride. Does anybody else feel that too? Do some of these things hit a little bit too close to home and you might be saying tonight, I need the prescription, please tell me how to overcome my pride. Well, that's what I wanna give you tonight. And quite honestly, I can't tell you how to have humility because if I have learned anything as I have studied, I don't have it, <laughs> at least to the degree to which Christ is calling me at this point in my walk with him. But I do want to show you how I began to have a desire to have it. I love teaching the word to little ones. I'm talking about seven to 12 year old little women. And as I was looking at this passage of wanting to be revived, and knowing that it took a humble heart to be revived, and also that verse says that he dwells in a humble place. I wanna be God's dwelling place, I want that. So I was praying, Lord help me, help me to understand humility, and I was studying all the passages I could on the topic, but it just wasn't hitting me until I looked at a passage I was preparing to teach tween girls. And there, in a very familiar passage, God taught me something about pride and humility that made me want it, and I want to share it with you tonight. It's a familiar passage. It's Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. It says, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Now, what I learned is that this verse is proof that we have a problem with pride. Because we slap this verse on t-shirts, we post it on Pinterest, and we put it on posters in an effort to make ourselves feel truly wonderful. And when I really studied it and really looked at it, that's not exactly the point of it all. So let me share with you the two things that God taught me are an important part of humility. The first one is to know this, you are wonderfully made. You are wonderfully made. Now, what does that word wonderfully made mean? Well, it means you're wonderfully made. He did not make a mistake. And it says in that verse that he knit you together. Has anybody here ever done any knitting? Okay, it takes math. Math and I are not friends, therefore Dana has never done any knitting. But my daughter Autumn has. For her senior project, she learned how to knit. And she was trying to make this wonderful little beanie cap with a pom-pom on top, and she got bored with counting. And she made a pancake instead. <laughs> nice little yarn pancake. Didn't look so cute on her head. 
Listen to me. When God says he knit us or he wove us together, he is saying that he took care and precision when he crafted us. He did not make a mistake when he gave you the brain that he gave you. He did not make a mistake when he gave you the learning style that he gave you. He did not make a mistake when he gave you the weaknesses that he gave you. He did not make a mistake when he gave you the personality that he gave you. He did not make a mistake when he chose your hair color or your skin color or your eye color or how tall you would be or how short you would be. He is perfect. He is a fantastic artist. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship or we are his artistry or we are his masterpiece. He did not make a mistake when he made you. You are wonderfully made. Stop belittling yourself. Step into the wonder of man. Stop hiding in group pictures. That's belittling. Stop hiding from your life's purpose. That's belittling. Stop hiding your sin and your shame. Because when you do, you are making much of it and belittling not only yourself, but the grace of God that is extended fully to you. You are wonderful. You are wonderfully made. Do you believe it about yourself? If you don't believe that, you will veer quickly into the territory of pride that looks like belittling. But here's the thing. As I was thinking about that and meditating on it, I wonder if we know it about ourselves, but I wonder if we know it about the person we're sitting next to right now. I wonder if we know that that person is fearfully and wonderfully made. I wonder if you know it about your boss that drives you crazy. Fearfully and wonderfully made. I wonder if you know it about the hotel maid that forgot to clean your room today, how dare she? fearfully and wonderfully made. I wonder if you know it about that guy that wounded your heart, fearfully and wonderfully made. I wonder if you know it about your mom or your dad who just didn't know how to be one because nobody told them that they were fearfully and wonderfully made. We can't just think we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God tells us all through scripture that we're supposed to have the eyes to see that others are fearfully and wonderfully made. In fact, that passage in Ephesians 2.10, it says that we are his workmanship, his masterpiece for the purpose of doing good works. That means we see the needs of others and we meet them. That's why you're wonderful. Not because you are wonderful but because he wants you to be equipped to do good things with that wonder. Romans 12, 3, 4, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Do you understand that the people near you in your life are fearfully and wonderfully made. And listen to me, I especially wanna to talk to you about those you're in conflict with. Do you know that they are fearfully and wonderfully made? Because here's the thing, our conflicts are served well by our pride, aren't they? And as I was thinking through this tonight, Nancy pointed out that Proverbs 13:10 actually says that, that pride creates conflict. If you forget that the person you're in conflict with is fearfully and wonderfully made and you forget to look at them with eyes of esteem, you will feel the conflict 
and the brokenness of your heart and their heart. God does not want you to belittle yourself, but God does not want you to belittle others either. It's ugly and it's sin. Let's stop. Let's stop. C.S. Lewis wrote this in Mere Christianity. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will be a sort of person who is always telling you that of course he is a nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. You know why? So that you can think of others more. Are you doing that? I'm not. I am not living in that space consistently and to the degree that Christ is calling me at this point in my walk with him. You know what? I wrote in big letters for me, and I'll just share it in case you need to write it in big letters for you. This is for me. It's not about you. That's what I wrote for me. Copy my writing if need be. You are wonderfully made. The person next to you is wonderfully made. But you are fearfully made. You know, as we were working on this curriculum for tweens, my husband said, what does that mean to a 10-year-old girl? Is she supposed to look in the mirror and be afraid of what she sees? And so I had to dig a little bit more deeply for this, but I found something that was the nugget that changed my heart about how I experience and express humility. That word isn't really about us. We've made it about us. We think it's about us. We think the word fearful is about us, but it's not. Because if you look at the whole context of Psalm 139, Psalm 139 is not really about us. It's about God. It's a poem about his great power, his omniscience. It's about him. And the word fearfully right here in this passage, it's about him. That when David looked at himself, he saw the power of God within his creation. And that was before we even have the science that we have today to understand how we're created and how miraculous it truly is. So let's look at ourselves and see if we can understand this fear. Let me show you a picture of how you began. This is a blastocyst. All the homeschoolers in the room are so happy that I know that word. This is how we begin. We begin as this tiny little, we're so small that only a microscope can see us. We are smaller than a speck of dust. In fact, we are dust. We are nothing more than dust. I want to show you what the chemical makeup is of a sampling of the Earth's crust and a sampling of the human body. If you look at this with me, the human body, as well as the Earth's crust, is made of oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, phosphorus, potassium, silicon, and the list goes on. You see that the really, really big significant difference there is the amount of oxygen that is within each of us. And that's where I want to land a little bit tonight for just a second to understand the fearfulness of God, what it means to be fearfully made. This is maybe not as exciting to you. I am a little bit of a creation geek, a little bit of a science geek, and I, I'm not really educated or trained to handle both of them well. 
but I get very excited about science and creation, and so this gets me very excited. We are dust. You and I are dust. Science tells us this, and God's Word tells us this. Genesis 2-7 says, the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. How, how, how did someone who wrote the Bible that long ago know that we were made of dust? How did they know unless it was by the omniscience? Uh, the, how did they know? Does that, anybody else? No, just me. Okay, it's all right, because I'm excited. <laughs> how did they know that we were made of dust? And what makes it different? Well, I got to go back to the word knitting again. I got to go back to the knitting again because what makes us different is breath, the breath that we breathe. And why is it that we breathe and a piece of dust from the earth doesn't? Well, knitting. So I want to introduce you, I want to show you God's thread. When you were born, you were born with 60,000 miles of blood vessels in your little itty bitty body. And by the time you were an adult, that was 100,000 miles of blood vessels in your body. That would wrap around the earth four times. And you know how long it takes for the blood to go from your heart all the way through that 100,000 miles back to your heart again? 60 seconds. Try to get around the earth in 60 seconds four times. It won't happen. It is the oxygen moving through our bodies that gives us the ability to be alive, to be different. And you know, we're, we've been trying for 20 years to figure out how to fix people that have broken blood vessels. And you know what? The only thing they know is that they can take human skin and other cells and knit them together. And they know that if they figure out how to knit correctly, one day they will be able to create a blood vessel. God knit us together in our mother's womb. And when he did, he pushed breath through us. And that breath, only powered by him, is what gives us the ability to live. Every breath that you breathe is a gift from God. He is worthy of every breath that we breathe. He is worthy of it. Listen, I didn't fully understand this to a degree that I would rather have not learned until this year when I became a grandmother. And I didn't become a grandmother once for the first time, but twice. Twin girls, Addie and Zoe. And here's the thing. They were born early. We knew that that would be hard. We were prepared for some time in the NICU. What we weren't prepared for is that Addie's lung would collapse within 24 hours. I want to tell you that when you walk into the NICU and you see your son and your daughter-in-law looking helpless and then look to the right and see a team of nurses and doctors opening your brand new grandbaby daughter up, you cry out to God. And as an hour later, you sit with those doctors and those nurses and they are telling you words with their mouth that are neutral that don't make a lot of sense to you, but their eyes are telling you that they're terrified. You pray, you cry out to God. And then I didn't expect that the first 24 hours of being a grandma would be spent by a bassinet in a NICU, but all I knew is that God, if you don't breathe into this child, she will not breathe because the doctors have said there's nothing else they can do. Breathe, breath of God, breathe, breath of God, breathe, breath of God. 
And you know, here's the thing, something in me needed to bow when I called out to him. And the NICU nurses are amazing, they're heroes. They're also very scary when it comes to the topic of germs. And if you put anything on the floor, such as your purse, you know, if I did happen to do that, they would grab it and you weren't allowed to have it anymore. And so I knew that if I bowed on the ground, I wasn't quite sure what the NICU nurses would do with me. But the longer I went through the day, I had a compelling need to be on my knees. I don't know if you've ever been there before with God where you just need to be on your knees. And so I went to the cafeteria because there were no NICU nurses there. (laughs) And I got on my knees before God and listen, as I prayed all the scriptures I knew, asking God to breathe life into that little girl, I was very, 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 very mindful of my sinfulness and having a clean account before God. I had the fear of God in my heart that day. In a way, I'm grateful that God gave me that window to see the stench of my pride and to be humbled in a way. I had to be utterly dependent on him. And I bowed there and I I begged him and I, I confessed one sin after the other I don't know if this is the right thing to say or if it's fair to say this, but I I hope that one day you need him so desperately that you feel the need to be on your face before him and confess every little thing in the corner of your heart. I'm thankful to say that the Lord answered those sweet prayers. And many of you prayed with us as we called out to you through social media. And I just, I have to show you what I, I think I know what Addie thinks of those prayers that you prayed for her. <laughs> Listen, you're not promised the next breath. You're not promised that you'll breathe to wake up tomorrow morning. You're not promised that you'll get home tomorrow night except that God chooses to breathe into your life. We are utterly dependent on him. He is worthy of every breath that we breathe. Here's what I've come to understand. If I don't live in that space of the fear of God, I will very quickly veer into the pride of boastful living. That's what I did this past year. I lived in a place of boastful living. We have forgotten the ampersand. We have forgotten that we are wonderfully made and we are fearfully made. I have an ampersand in my, in my bedroom. And I want to have an ampersand in your heart as I wrap up here tonight. I want to have an ampersand in your mind. Because listen to me, if you live in just the fear of God, you are very likely going to veer towards a shame-filled Christian walk that belittles yourself, and you will very quickly be somebody out of self-defense that belittles others. You cannot live in only the fear of God. You have to live in the love of God. The love of God, which is what caused him to create you with such wonder, which is what caused him to create you to be a masterpiece. You have to live right in the center of the ampersand. 
And that is where humility is. That is what humility looks like. It's not thinking less of ourselves, it's just thinking less often of ourselves so that we know truly who He is and we know that He is worthy of every breath and because of that, we see the needs of others and we're drawn towards the needs of others. Without humility, we cannot honestly call ourselves true believers. That's the conclusion I've come to. I can't call myself a true believer unless I'm chasing after this. And I don't know that I'll ever arrive, but what I have decided is that I have to chase after it. It's a direction, it's a pursuit. A true believer does not idolize herself, nor does she make less of herself. What she is no longer concerns her. She understands that she is made in the image of Christ, that she is crucified with Christ, and that she is the dwelling place of God's Spirit because her focus is on Him. And because of that, she focuses on others just like Jesus did. Just like Jesus did. What I have learned is this. It's very easy for me to get caught up in the fear of God and live in my shame and live in my brokenness and live in my belittling. That's easy to do. And it's very easy for me to live in a place of, well, self-esteem. Listen to me. We live in a world that cries out self-esteem every day. You do not need self-esteem. You need God-esteem. If you understand who He is, you will understand your value, but not make too much of yourself. And you'll live in a place of truth because humility is the truth. The truth about us, the truth about God, and the truth about the fearfully and wonderfully made person right next to you. But here, I gotta come back to that word fear, and this is where I wanna end. As I look through all of the Old Testament, the definition that God's planted in my heart for fearing Him is to stand in awe of, to worship, to bow before, and to submit to. And as we bow before Him in humility and are honest about the sin in our life, including being upset about not getting that seat, including not getting the attention we wanted today, we have got to get honest with God about our pride. We have got to get honest with God and we've got to get honest with others. So you know what I had to do this week? I had to call my friend Lynn and I said, Lynn, I got to teach this message on humility and I think I'm not very humble and I've confessed a bunch of it to God, but I really feel like I need to confess it to a girlfriend. So she got together with me and as, as she shared with me, she said, you know, Dana, the funny thing about Psalm 139 is that it ends this way, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So my fearfully, wonderfully made friends, will you let God search you tonight? Will you see if there's any grievous ways in you? Is there some pride in your heart that has to go, listen to me, if you're struggling with sin and you can't stop, I promise you, you got a lot of pride in there because pride is the root of every sin. It has to go. And if we don't start here, it's like picking dandelions up at the top of their heads and not getting to the root of all of our brokenness and our problems. Will you be honest with God tonight about who you are? and what you need to confess and what grieves his heart. 
This message was presented at the Revive Conference. If you want more content like it, join Dana and Nancy daily for the Revive Our Hearts podcast. Learn more at reviveourhearts.com. This podcast was produced by Pure Freedom Ministries.